everyone. Um, this is Solomon. And this is Sayed. And we would like to welcome you to Student Docs podcast series. Nice. And uh, today, we, as promised, we are going to talk about diabetes insipidus. Um, Do you want to talk about where that word actually comes from? Because you did some weird research. Oh, yeah. I got bored, I guess. And I started looking up this word because, you know, diabetes it doesn't sound very English, does it? I don't know. But yeah, I did some research and um, it, it turns out that diabetes has actually, um, it's been here for a long time. Um, the Greeks knew about it and they use the word diabetes to, or the Greek form of it, I don't know what it's called, but um, they use that to describe sort of a siphon um, or movement of water, um, like a large amount of water. And insipidus, which is different from diabetes mellitus, right? Um, insipidus means tasteless. So if you compare it to diabetes mellitus, that is um, the mellitus that actually means um, tasty, like honey or sweet. So in diabetes insipidus, we have tasteless movement of large water. That's pretty much what it means. And it's been here since the um, Greeks and the Egyptians and all that stuff. So, yeah. Um, you mentioned water. Um, what exactly, what's the importance of water in this particular disease? Can you talk about that first? Yeah, so for me, understanding this, I, I kind of thought of it as, um, as, as a water problem, right? So um, we all know that majority of, of what we are is um, water, um, and we have to move water around um, through a process known as osmosis, as we know. Um, so when I was thinking of um, diabetes insipidus, it's kind of like a it's kind of like a water problem um, in the sense that we're not able to move water in the right places, right? So we're getting the wa more water outside of our bodies than we are actually keeping inside of us. Um, but as we know, it's also a hormonal problem. Um, yes, uh, hormones, something that they, they, co they cover every little thing that is in the body. <laughs> the most important one here uh, is arginine vasopressin, uh, also called as antidiuretic hormone or just simply vasopressin in itself. So it is first, primarily, uh, it, is, uh, it is produced in a tiny part of the brain called hypothalamus, and then it is transported down to a cherry-looking uh, part right underneath the brain called the posterior pituitary gland. So this gland is the one that actually stores vasopressin and secretes it whenever it is signaled by osmoreceptor cells that are throughout our body pretty much and uh, primarily I would say in the kidney and they are the ones who will be like hey we need some so we need some vasopressin and the signal goes all the way to posterior pituitary gland and they they start releasing uh, vasopressin based on how much we need yes so um, the signaling can get a bit crazy um, but we'll try to keep it in a condensed form here just to um, you know because uh, we don't want to get too wordy with these things. So um, the signaling, um, vasopressin has two receptors, as we know of. So there's V1 receptors, V2 receptors. And the V1 receptors help kind of um, um, constrict vessels so we can maintain our blood volume, right? And then the V2 receptors, which are primarily found on the kidneys, will actually cause aquaporins, which are these channels that allow water to go through. And it's kind of interesting because um, when that um, vasopressin binds, it's going to cause 
a downstream effect and what we mean by that is that we, there's a target there's there's something that we want it to accomplish but we have to use several messengers um, to kind of get to that and one of those messengers would be like a GS which just means a G coupled receptor protein um, and then we have downstream which is adenylocyclase and we make another molecule or messenger called cyclic AMP and then PKA so as you can see there are different steps to get to what we need which is getting the aquaporins inserted uh, into the apical and the basal side of a part of the kidney where we get most of our water reabsorbed, um, known as a collecting duct. Yes, uh, clear it up a little bit for me, Solomon. I'm a very visual person. Mm -hmm. So you're saying that first we have some vasopressin released and that is brought all the way down to the renal collecting ducts. Mm -hmm. From there on, on the basal side of the cell, we're going to have something called V1 or V2 receptors. Mm -hmm. And then from there on, we're going to have some kind of cell signaling within that cell mm -hmm. through V1 and V2 receptors. And there, and from there, we actually we, we activate uh, aquaporins to be added to the luminal side of the um, of the cells in the collecting tubule. Am I right? Yes, and the basolateral side. And the whole point is, again, when we need, when vasopressin is released, it's just saying that we don't have enough water, right? So our osmolality changes, um, our blood, and this, this is just telling us like, in a sense, how much water we have, right? So um, we need to be able to get water from the kidneys instead of getting it out. And this is in, no, in a normal person. Um, so that's what this um, vasopressin binding to the V2 receptors we talked about is going to do at, um, as, as an end goal. So uh, given all the things that it is doing, uh, it seems like vasopressin is going to be very important, especially for uh, uh, blood pressure regulation. And I would also say any, any kind of uh, uh, overproduction of urine and what else, what else can we add into this umbrella? Yeah, I'd say, I mean, for me, the, the blood pressure is one of the biggest things, right? Because like we said, the V1 has to constrict blood vessels, and that's going to be key in maintaining um, our blood pressure as well. Um, but things do go wrong, and that's why we're talking about this right now, right? So diabetes insipidus is when things go wrong, right? And there are different kinds of, um, of diabetes, well, I guess different ways to categorize this diabetes insipidus. Yes, um, and I would like to first start with neurogenic diabetes insipidus, also called as the central diabetes insipidus. So remember we talked about how uh, uh, vasopressin is produced in a tiny part in the brain. So as you can tell from the word central, it's probably something in the brain. What's happening here is there is some kind of decreased secretion of vasopressin that is not going to be transported down to the collecting tubules and not enough water is going to be reabsorbed. So this one can either be acquired or it can be congenital. Uh, trauma can cause uh, issues within the central nervous system area and, and the uh, hypothalamus and uh, the patient may not be able to create any vasopressin. Um, and a lot of times all of these uh, diabetes insipidus that we are going to talk about, they almost always are present with increased thirst and increased ex excretion of urine as expected. Mm, yeah, and that makes sense, right? Because we cannot, we cannot keep the water in our bodies per se kind of kind of uh, speaking of that you cannot have the water in there so you're just peeing everything out so you your body wants to maintain that amount so it's going to cost you to drink more water but again you cannot reabsorb it through your kidneys so you're peeing it out um the other one which is interesting is that in in some patients even when they come in with like excessive urination and um 
um, excessive thirst, they still have vasopressin in their blood, right? If we, if we measure it, they'll still have a lot of vasopressin present. So then that tells us that it's not central because we're making it. So um, one other form which it can present as is the nephrogenic. Um, and do you want to talk a little bit about nephrogenic diabetes insipidus? Yes, uh, nephrogenic diabetes insipidus is, is a more annoying version of, <laughs> of diabetes insipidus because we'll talk about that. We'll talk about the difference uh, in the treatment uh, and that's where it gets a little annoying. So nephrogenic diabetes insipidus is just that the kidney cells, the, the cells in the, in the collecting tubule, simply won't respond to the uh, vasopressin that is there. So all the cell signaling that we talked about earlier with uh, B1 and B2 receptors, and then aquaporins being added to the luminal side of the membrane, all of this, this mechanism is impaired. Um, it can happen because of quite a lot of issues. One is um, psychiatric issues. Like for example, if someone has bipolar disorder and if they're taking lithium to, uh, to alleviate the symptoms, that can cause it uh, as an adverse effect. And another one would be some genetic effects, uh, especially there's a, there's a gene called AQP2 uh, that is on chromosome 12. That is the one that, that can also predispose someone to having this kind of diabetes insipidus. Right. Well, as we promised, we're not gonna get too nerdy, right? So, um, we will we will go to the next one, which is uh, the dipsogenic, and the dipsogenic. Um, it just it just pretty much, it as we understand it, it's normally caused by trauma, right, to a part of the brain which um, probably around the thirst regions of the brain, um, and it's going to cause excessive thirst. So, um, you you drink a bunch of water, pretty much is is, is what's going to cause. Um, it to happen so and then the last one which happens in, in pregnancy um, crazy enough is called gestational um, diabetes insipidus and with this one it's odd because um, your body produces vasopressinase which will go and degrade the vasopressin that's been made so it's <laughs> you're making the vasopressin but you also have a different um, enzyme that's going and eating it up so you're not having enough of it to reabsorb the water and that's why you present with the excessive thirst and urination yeah you're right with that um so one more thing that i wanted to point out is uh, so you're saying that this is neither neurogenic nor is it nor it is nephrogenic exactly. so the patient might be present will be making vasopressin uh, they have the their kidney cells uh, have the capacity to to uh, detect it. Mm -hmm. It's just that there's a vasopressinase that is just coming in and messing things up. Exactly, exactly. Okay. So um, I know you mentioned that you know, especially with the um, nephrogenic one and the central one, um, it's it, sometimes we need a little bit more to figure out um, how to like differentiate between the two, and that's the testing. You know, like you can easily give um, um, a form of vasopressin which we make known as desmopressin and if you give the desmopressin to the patient you would expect things to change right so if um, if they have central which they cannot make it then if you give the desmopressin you expect them to be able to reabsorb the water so if you look at we mentioned something called osmolality we have the urine and the serum and these have values it's not important to know the value because if you're in medical school most of the time they'll give you the normal ranges anyway so if you look at if if you think about it if you're able to reabsorb the water right 
then your urine osmolality should should increase right it becomes more concentrated whereby your serum should be less concentrated right because now you have the vasopressin which is able to work normally um so if you give a patient um desmopressin and you see those changes then that tells you hey things um things are working now and it tells you that it's probably a problem of not being able to make it and that will point to central but if it doesn't change then you know it's nephrogenic because it doesn't matter how much of the vasopressin you have it's not going to do anything if the receptor is not working okay so well if this synthetic desmopressin is not working do we know of anything else that can help people with nephrogenic diabetes insipidus because that too is very common yeah yeah so i think one of the things which they do is and i mean i'm sure there are multiple options but two of the most common things that i can think of is uh giving the patient thiazides and thiazides we'll get to it late in some later episodes but they're diuretics so they promote urine um, um they promote urination which is kind of paradoxical because the patient is already urinating a lot and you're giving them thiazide but as we will talk about in later mechanisms there's going to be uh, or in later episodes there are mechanisms that will actually kind of reverse it in a sense um but like i said we'll talk about it more and then another common way to fix it or try to address it is um, just watching your diet and your salt intake yes salt is a very very big uh, culprit in in diseases that uh, that go hand in hand with fluid retention or or even urination and blood pressure management and all of that salt it's it's not a very good ingredient <laughs> yeah. but everyone loves it because of the taste oh, yeah. so um if you do take too much salt uh, there is going to be a, a reaction almost in the body where you're going to be like well I'm gonna. I need more salt. Yeah. Think of it like eating Ritz crackers. <laughs> I love Ritz crackers, and they're the, one of the tastiest, tastiest crackers on the planet. Ooh, and, that's debatable, man. Oh come on. That's the dude. Okay. All right. We'll get into that debate later. <laughs> if you give me one one packet of it, I'll finish it in one sitting. Okay. That's how much I love them. Wow. But the problem is, I'll finish that one packet in one sitting. I'll drink like two glasses of water, and I'll want another one. one of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's that's a good point. I like I like how you your mind thinks of things like that. So that's awesome. But yeah, um, so that's central diabetes, um, uh, insipidus, and the nephrogenic one. And those are the two most common that you would see and most testable, I should say. Um, but again, with the dipsogenic and the gestational, um, with gestational, you know, it's going to be limited to females, and then they're going to be in pregnancy. So that's kind of kind of leads you or gives you clues to it. Um, Hey, I have a good a good topic. I'm going to interrupt you there. Uh, mm-hmm. A good point to point out. Mm-hmm. A lot of the times after delivery, mm-hmm. it just resolves by itself. Oh, that's a good point to know. So we haven't uh, studied anything reproductive yet. Uh, we don't know too much about it. No. <laughs> Therefore, refer to your provider for, yeah. for, for, this, uh, for this particular one. Yeah, well, I think we've covered a lot of grounds here in such a short time. Um, but I think uh, if this is your first um, time listening to Central, um, or oh, I shouldn't say central, I should say diabetes insipidus. Um, I hope that it's giving you a very good overview. Um, there's obviously more that you can you can learn about, but I hope this is helpful. And if you have any questions, any concerns, any feedback, just, just let us know. And we're all here to learn together. So I hope this was fun. Yeah, and uh, stay tuned for our next topic. Uh, since this was literally our first topic that we have done so far, we are still in the works of uh, creating a whole entire schedule for it and and continue doing this throughout the summer and come up with more interesting topics. 
yeah. uh, and trying to make it a little uh, cringier alongside. <laughs> um, thank yeah. you for tuning in. See you next time. See you next time.